Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, today, and we've got a really great show that is lined up for you. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about what it means to be a working parent and supporting your students as they go through the application process. And we'll also handle some of your listener questions. We saw a lot of those came in over the long weekend. I think as we get through Labor Day, people start to realize, oh, wow, it's it's time to apply to college. We got to get moving here. And so we'll tackle that in our final segment today. But before any of that, we've got a really special guest here on the show um, joining me from the ScholarShare 529 program, uh, which is the California 529 program. We have Yvette uh, Yvette Herring, uh, who's a director uh, and a college uh, savings program manager. Hi, Yvette. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show today. We're really glad to have you on the show. Um, Our finance team connected us with you, and I know that we've done some work uh, on your College Countdown website to share some of our expertise with your families. And we're really glad that you're reciprocating and bringing some of your expertise to our families here today, which is just wonderful to hear. We're going to spend some time just talking about college saving. I was pretty excited about this because I have a couple of scholar share accounts myself. Um, my kids were very small in California when we started thinking about saving for college. And so I want to just start with some of the basics. You know, we're leading here. Why should a parent of a high schooler even think about saving for college? There's so much unpredictability in terms of what the cost will be. These things like student loan forgiveness come into the mix. What's just the fundamental reason for a, a parent uh, of a student of any age to start thinking about saving for college? You know, we get this question all the time. And so one of the things I like to share is I have a personal story. So when I opened up the 529s for my nephews and nieces, uh, they were in high school because that's Mm. when I discovered them. I've been in the financial industry for probably more than 20 years. And even somebody who's been in the industry was not fully aware of what a 529 is, the benefits and all that stuff, right? So um, just because I'm in the industry doesn't mean I know, you know, you know everything. But when I came to work for the department uh, at TIAA for ScholarShare, that's when I really discovered what these plans are and how great they are. So I opened it up immediately for my nephews and my nieces. Again, high school, one of them was in elementary. So that one got, you know, is going to benefit a lot more than the other ones, right? right. Time, right. time in the market, right? So the story I'm going to share with you is part of the reason why I think even if they're in high school, even if they're sophomores, juniors, even, you know, seniors, consider, considering opening the 529 saving for those expenses is a good idea. So when I opened the accounts, my, my sister, single mom, you know, mm-hmm. raising three kids, working Tough. two jobs, right? Yeah. So she she did what she could just to make ends meet, right? So I took it upon myself to give her a help, which is one of the benefits of 529s. Anybody can establish it and anybody can contribute, right? So when my niece got accepted to UC San Diego, great. We all celebrated. Awesome. You know, she needed a computer. So guess what? Pull the money from the 529. So I was able to get her top of the line Mac, which is what she wanted, yada, yada, right? Quit stuff. She found out that she needed money for her dorm room, like kind of a, 
uh, kind of like a down payment to to hold it. Okay. Well, it was it was you know couple, maybe three hundred or something like that. My sister didn't have it, so guess what? We had the five twenty nine. No great. one had to stress, so we pulled the money from the five twenty nine. And all the money that comes out of that five twenty nine, when it's used for those qualified expenses, I didn't pay any taxes on it. So I tell people, you never know what they're going to need. You never know if they're going to get a scholarship. You never know if they're going to have, you know, even if they do get a scholarship, like my nephew, who just got accepted to uh, Cal Poly uh, San Luis Obispo, he's still going to have to pay $5,000 out of, out of pocket. That 529 that I have for him is going to help him for at least one of those years. And then his parents are going to, you know, help cover other. So when parents are thinking about this, you know, I'd like to give them that example because if it wasn't for that 529, my sister would have try to figure out how to get that money to get her in that door. Yeah. So yeah. It, we didn't have to stress about it, you know? So it re, it gave us that peace of mind. I was able to pull out and I was able to help out with that. Now I wasn't pay, able to pay for her tuition, but I was able to help with those little things that are going to come up that you right. may not, you may not expect. I didn't know that you had to put money down for a dorm room. So that was, that's a perfect example that I like to share with people as, this is why it's good to think ahead, save as much as you can when you can. Yeah, those things do crop up somewhat unexpectedly, don't they? And I, I think you. setting aside the fact, first of all, that your sister has raised some really smart kids to be going <laughs> to UC San Diego and Cal Poly, congratulations to both your niece and nephew there. Um, you were mentioning what are called qualified educational expenses, right? So most people think that when you're paying for college, they look at the tuition price, maybe they think about room and board. But there are other fees associated with the education that also qualify. And that means that you can use your 529 account in order to pay for those things. Are there some other examples of those qualified educational expenses that people don't initially think of yes. um, that might be useful for, for this, this pool of money? Thank you for asking that question, Ian. Actually, one of the things that I think we get a lot that people don't know is you know tuition room board equipment like the the Mac computer that I talked about yeah. anything that they need for that course if they're astronomy and they need a telescope I don't know that is considered qualified because they need it for that course but one of the things that people don't consider a lot of time is off campus living so even if they don't live on in the dorm but either renting you know an apartment or something off campus you can use the five twenty nine for room and board. You just have to find out from that school, that institution, what is the cost for off-campus living for room and board, and you stay within those means, and that it would be considered a qualified distribution from a 529. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's even if your your student does qualify for a full scholarship for tuition, they have hit the books, they, you know, applied to the right school, that school gave them a great, great scholarship they still might have to live off campus for a couple of years. And then you can use this money that you've saved towards yeah. that. Now, yeah. this is so daunting for so many families, I think, because they look at these huge sums of money that are that, that, you know, go towards higher education these days. And they think, well, I've already, you know, I've got these so many different logins and I've got my bank account. Like, I, should I really open another account? How does a parent like who's never started saving get past that initial just Ah, it feels like so much. Should I really even be saving? It's just a drop in the bucket and get started in saving, especially, you know, with, with the, the one you have with Scholarshare. Yeah. So, you know, I'll answer that in a couple of ways. So with Scholarshare, right. we have six different consultants throughout, throughout the state of California. Mm -hmm. And so we host monthly webinars twice a month. So anybody could go and sign up for a webinar and they're going to learn all about the program, how it works and things of that nature. We also have the consultants that are available for consultation. 
So, Ian, if you were one of those parents that I, eh, I don't know, I, I have, you know, Bank of America, I have this credit union, I have all this stuff, why do I need another one? Yeah. You could always talk to one of our consultants. They would have a one-on-one consultation with you, help you understand what the 529s, what the benefits, and they would even help you walk you through the process of how to open an account. So it may seem like another account, and, you know, I get that, but it is a 529. It's not a checking account. It Checkings and savings, you're still going to get taxed on any earnings with the 529, all the earnings that, you know, potential earnings on those accounts are tax-free as they're growing. And when you use it for qualified expenses, you don't pay taxes on those gains. So realizing the um, the benefits, the tax advantages of a 529, I think will help you know parents that have that conception of, here's another account I have to establish and that's something else I could keep track exactly. of. Exactly. Just understanding yeah. the benefits that come with it and the tax advantages and why it would make better sense for a 529 versus potentially another savings account. I think that helps kind of open up the idea and get people more comfortable and, and you know, invest in a 529. And so the, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that you take post-tax money. So money that comes to your paycheck, you goes to your bank account, you then take that money, you put it into your 529 account. And then when you use that money, the earnings or the contributions, you're not paying any taxes on the gains that you've made with that 529 account. But 529s are also investment choices, right? So you get to choose a portfolio to invest in. Some of them are like the ones I'm invested in, ScholarShare, are passive, where you just say, okay, my kid's graduating high school in 2033. I'm going to click that button and I'm and that's it. And so the plan automatically will reallocate the risk over time so that early on, it's a lot of stocks. Later on, it's more bonds because it's a little bit safer as they get close to college age. What about that risk position, right? So families might say, well, if I keep it in my savings account, I at least know that it's not going to go down. And of course, these investments in 529s are not guaranteed to see gains. But you know, how do you talk to people about that balance of the investment portion of the 529 account as well? That's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. We do get a lot of parents that you know, may not understand investments may be risk adverse um, or, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, we have, we have investments that are really tailor made to fit any type of individual, whether you're risk adverse or whether you're that type of person that wants to set it and forget it. Right. You know, what you were talking about, that is the, uh, the, um, the the college you know type of um, uh, college college years type of investments where you just set it up you don't worry about it you put your money and then somebody else is investing for you right it's ourselves more aggressive as the child um, you know is is further away from college and then it gets more conservative as they get younger and then we have the investments for people that want to do it themselves. You know, they may be savvy. They're doing their own stuff on their retirement platform. So they're really comfortable. So we have that. And for those parents that say, I don't want to be in this you know, stock market. I don't like volatility. Right now, it's really crazy out there. And I just want to keep my money in the savings account. We also have something that's called the principal plus interest, which mm. is a guaranteed account. So it's think of it as a glorified, you know, checking accounts or it's actually savings account. You get paid a rate of return. It's it earns between one and three percent. 
So you're never okay. going to earn less than 1%, but you won't earn more than 3%. And okay. again, like you said, these are post-tax and any money that you make in any of these uh, accounts, whether it's you know interest that's being paid in the principal plus account, which is the guaranteed, or any gains that you may potentially make on the on the stock, you're not paying taxes. So you're allowing this money to grow, tax deferred, compound interest on top of that. And so potentially what it might look like is you have more money to use for those educational costs because you're not paying taxes on it because you got those potential earnings that is, you know, not the same as a checking account or a savings account. That's right. Savings account paying I don't even know what they're paying, how low they're paying now, right? It's it's definitely it's not. hard to find good rates yeah. out there, even <laughs> exactly. as they go up, right? The, exactly. the banks are quick to quick to cut the rates, but it's hard to get them to go back <laughs> up. The Fed races. And I've been on the hunt for those. And I think it's great to see that there's these kind of secure, kind of guaranteed returns in addition to the market. One of the things I would say to people, and this is by no means investment advice, right? But when the market is down, that means things are cheaper than they would be otherwise. And you have a very long time horizon if you've got a very young child. Okay. You have a shorter time horizon if you've got a 16 or 17-year-old. And so you might think a little bit about that and, and talk to financial advisors you have or to the consultants that work with the scholarship program. I think, um, Yvette, a lot of people might be saying, wait a second, what? I don't live in California, so this isn't relevant to me. But one of the wonderful things about these 529 plans is you actually don't have to live in the state in order to participate. Um, can you talk about what someone who doesn't live in California might think about when they're choosing their 529 plan and why they might choose California and ScholarShare to host their 529 plan? Absolutely. So, you know, with 529 plans, there is no residency required. Almost every state has a 529 program. So mm -hmm. the first thing we always suggest is look at your home state. You know, what, who, what plan do they offer? And I would say most people are looking, would want to look at a couple different things. You're going to want to look at the investment options. Do they have options that are, you know, that you are proud of that you want to invest in? California has ESG, right? So uh, socially responsible investing. If that's what you're looking for, California offers that. Um, you also want to take a look at the fees. What are the fees for this account, right? What are the underlying fees? Is, you know, is that too expensive in your state? Do you then want to look at other state programs like ScholarShare, which has some of the lowest fees in the country. So you want to take a look at all of that. And then you want to see what is the buy-in is, do I need to open it up with $50, $100? You know, uh -huh. how much do I need to open this account? Because these accounts may be, you know, the, the good thing about the 529s is they're very flexible. So with California, you only have to open it up with a dollar. So that means that opens it up for anybody to be able to open an account like this. And as you start to invest in it, you know, we, Obviously, the more money that you can put, the better. If you set it and forget it kind of concept, whether you're doing it to pay war, pay, payroll or checking a savings account, that would be great because you're consistently putting money into it. But with the 529, you could always stop, start, you know, whenever you want. So there is no type of penalty to stop contributing for a few months. You got a couple other things that you have to focus on and then you can start again. But the other good thing, Ian, and I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but you gift anybody. Yeah, I was going to bring this up. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anybody can contribute to a 529. Birthday parties, holidays, or just whenever you send your friends this code that doesn't expire, and anybody could put money in that 529. 
So it's not just about the individual, like an RIA or a 401k. It's all about you putting that money into it for your retirement. 529 is really a community. It's a family. It's friends. Everybody can put money into it. Everybody can help support you know, that, uh, that journey that you're saving for that loved one. That's right. I've got an annual email that I send to the grandparents that says, Hey, here's the link where you can go and contribute to the 529 plans for, yeah. for my kids. And, and so that's always a big help. The great thing also about 529s is that you can, the beneficiaries can change, right? So you can use them for one kid ostensibly, but then that kid gets a full tuition scholarship. You've got money left over. You can actually reassign those funds to another kid or to another family member or to yourself to go back to school. So there's a lot more flexibility with these plans, I think, than people initially think. Um, It's not like a prepaid tuition thing where you have to use it for the school within your state. You can take this money with you to just about any institution that you're going to go to. And and that's one of the wonderful parts about it. Yeah. And and kind of going back to the residency, even if you don't live in California, but your child decides and you open up your home state plan because that just makes better sense. Your child could go to school in California or even abroad or any state really. And they can, you can use that money to pay for those institutions. So you don't have to stay a in your home state or the state that you opened up your 529. So, I mean, there's so many flexibilities with 529s, you know, so It's just a really great program. It's really good. At the end of the day, if it's not a good fit for families, I always tell them at least now you know what this plan is. And we all know that, you know, education is power. So the more that you know, you know, the more you know. And I think that's part of the big problem. And so I'm really happy to be on the show today to talk about 529s because a lot of people just don't know what they are and they don't understand how they work. So understanding them and knowing the benefits, I think, helps people open up, you know, just open up their world to a whole different way of investing and, you know, preparing your child for success when they start to, you know, go down the journey of, you know, higher education. That's right. I think that's exactly right. And I I have loved everything I've learned about 529 plans. I was very fortunate when I had my first child that I was about six months later started with Bright Horizons College Coach. And so I have benefited from the expertise of my colleagues for the entirety of both of my kids' lifetimes. We want to make sure that everybody else is aware of these opportunities for investments. Um, I have two scholarship accounts. I've got accounts in Oregon where I live now to get the tax breaks, but then I still um, contribute to the uh, scholarship program because it's one of the top performing programs that you can get. So I encourage everybody to have a look at scholarship for their 529 program. That's at scholarship.com. And then you can also go to savingforcollege.com to learn more about other 529 plans, perhaps in your own state. So Get a look at things that are out there. Maybe set some time aside on this weekend. Um, and I think, Yvette, I saw on the website for ScholarShare that it's College Savings Month. And so if you open a new account with $1,000, they will give $100 to that account. So that's a really nice incentive to go ahead and do this. Now. Is, is there anything else you'd want to add for potential new subscribers to yeah. uh, ScholarShare? <laughs> I do. Uh, and just to, uh, the, the website is scholarshare529.com. Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> if you Google ScholarShare, it'll come up. <laughs> That's what I usually do. <laughs> but last, you know, I'm just going to close with this. You know, if you don't know about them, join one of our webinars, find out how they work. There's a lot of benefits and features, some of the things that we didn't get to talk about today, but 
you know, there's no time restriction, no age limitation, no income restriction. So anybody can contribute to them. Anybody can open it up. And it's just what I've seen is, and I see this in my own family. As I started opening up 529s, it really helped my nephews and nieces have clarity of, you know, what choices they could potentially have after high school. And now that I've started the trend, I like to call it, of opening 529s for nephews and nieces, my cousins, my aunts, everybody now has one for their children. And I think it, it's starting that whole culture bound or that college bound culture in the family that we didn't have before. So it again, education is power, having, you know, having that that belief in that child that they could do anything they want, putting that 529 account into play. I think is really going to go a long way. Um, you know, there's there's a quote out, quote out there that says, if even if you save a dollar in a savings account and that child knows it's dedicated for college, the chances of them going is seven times higher. So, you know, it, uh, it's all it's it's all good. Find out. Go to the website. Join one of our webinars. I mean, that's the best way. No pressure gives you an opportunity to learn all about the program. So. You know, Absolutely. Sure. So the website is scholarshare529.com. Yeah. You can also check out the College Countdown website sponsored by Scholarshare, yeah. where you'll see some articles by your favorite counselors here at Bright Horizon <laughs> College. Yvette, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking Thank us through you. this. Really appreciate it. Right. Uh, Thank you for having me. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about being working parents and, and not just saving for college, but also thinking about how to help with the application process. Don't go away. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. 
To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We are recording this podcast on uh, September 7th. Yesterday was National Read-A-Book Day. Uh, I don't know what that means. Does it mean you're supposed to read a book, an entire book on that day or read some of a book on that day? These things are confusing. But what's coming up tomorrow, and by tomorrow, I mean the day after you're listening to this, September 16th, is National Working Parents Day. And we thought this would be a great opportunity for us to have a little segment to talk about working parents and how the college application process can fit into a working parent's lifestyle. So joining me today is a fellow working parent, Tova Javits. Tova is a popular guest on the show, at least for me. I don't know if our listeners care for you, Tova, but I, I think I'd rather great. not know. I'd rather yeah. not find out the answer to that. We won't put a poll up on Twitter or anything like that. Um, but we wanted, so applying to college is very stressful. Um, and I think that more and more, Tova, we see that parents are supporting their students in different ways. But that can often often get in the way um, when you also have your commitments at work. Just initially, when you think about parents that are successful at both managing their expectations at work and supporting their student in the right way for the college application process, are there any particular things that you notice from those parents in terms of how they set the tone for their kids or how they kind of arrange for this project to work uh, cool. for them? I like the way you said set the tone. Good. Thank because you. that is probably one of the most important things to do first. When you start having some of those big family conversations and all your free time as working parents have, and you're sitting around a dinner table or more likely driving to or from an activity or away for a weekend. And you're having some of these big conversations about what's next after high school. And you want to set that framework. I think it's important to remember who is going to college. Is the parent going to college or is the student going? Who is going to own this process at the end of the day? Sure, parents might take on the financial responsibility, but at the end of the day, it's the student who's actually the one going. So who needs to care the most? Who needs to put in the most effort? And who needs to actually own the process? Who is the one actually going to college? So I like that setting the tone piece. One of the things you said there, and I know it's just um, a colloquialism, is, you know, at the end of the day. Mm. But I think when we think literally about the end of the day, especially for a working parent, you might have, you know, dogs to walk in the morning and you've got lunches to make. You got to get the kids to school. Then you've got all your responsibilities at work. You've got whatever the after school programs are at the end of the day, the literal end of the day. That's probably not a great time to start jumping into the college conversation. Um, One of the things that I've recommended for some families that I think has been really helpful and I think is especially applicable for those working parents is, can you find a time on a weekend that you can have meetings with your child to get progress updates, to figure out where things are, to understand what needs to be done in the weeks ahead? So maybe it's every two weeks. Maybe it's every week, probably not. Your, your kids won't like that, but maybe every two weeks. And you check in and you say, all right, what have we done in the last couple of weeks? How can I help you going forward? Give me some tasks and then tell me what tasks you're working on. And I think just creating that space for that college conversation mm-hmm. means that it's not happening every single day over dinner at the end of the day when people are already a little bit fried from all Absolutely. the expectations that they have. 
What do you yeah. think of that idea? Do you, is there anything that you would add on to that? I like it. I, I don't like one part, the part where you said making lunches. I really hope, I mean, my kids are still in elementary school, so you're right. I am still making lunches when they're in high school. They better be making their own darn lunches, Ian. Maybe but these I are like, big families with lots of kids of all okay, ages. I don't okay. know. Or maybe, maybe, you know, I'm making my lunch and they're making their own and we're doing that simultaneously. Sure, yeah. Uh, I like that of assignments and check-ins. We all kind of operate, especially as they get older, they're going to be managing their own calendars. They're used to having on Tuesdays, I do this. On Thursdays, I do that. On, on Saturdays, I do this. So I like the idea of having a, a standing scheduled on your calendar meeting time crafted out. I think the first couple of meetings, whether that's at the you know second half of junior year or summer before senior year, is making a to-do list of what are the pieces that need to be done. And then let's put on the calendar, perhaps for some of these meetings, actual agenda items of when are we going to talk about this? When are we going to talk about that? Uh, Just like you might have an agenda for a work meeting. And I think some students might respond to that pretty well. What are we covering today? What are we talking about today? Yeah, it's it's a balance of like being organized and making sure everything is lined up and then also staying out of the way and allowing yourself to get out of the way because yeah. you don't want to be focused on micromanaging the application process. And it's probably not the best thing for your kid either. No. There are a lot of things that are connected to the application process that require, sometimes require time off work, you know, college visits, um, maybe driving a kid to an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of different, aspects of this that I think a parent might say, I don't have time to take off work to take you on an East Coast college visit. Really Are there expect- any suggestions? Let's talk about that. Like, let's all hop on a plane for three of us and hotels and go for a week. I mean, that's expensive also. Really expensive. And so that's, you know, you're working for that, but not probably hoping not to work just for that, right? <laughs> you want to go for a vacation, not for a homework assignment. Right. Um, but one of our colleagues, Jen, who arranged this, she had a really interesting suggestion around mm. college visits. And you want to relay that idea? I wonder how yeah. this would fly with our listeners. But I liked it. I liked it. I, I love it, too. It's like it's hearkening back to those elementary school days where you had the good old carpool. Mm-hmm. Why not carpool or share the responsibility of some of those visits? So and so down the street is going to check out that college. They're they're going to check out University of Arizona next weekend. Can they have a tag along? And then maybe you bring their kid when you go check out uh, uh, Rose Holman the next month. And whatever it might be, can you share some of that and uh, go on visits together? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's a little bit requires probably some more planning if there are flights and hotels and so forth involved, and maybe you want some closer friends. But when you're hopping in a car and driving two and a half, three hours to go see a campus. Why not bring another one along? The kids are going to have more fun if they have a friend along with them anyway. They are. And I think sometimes there is this perception of like, I need my college process to be my own because if I bring my friend that there's a competitive element to this in some respects. And it's like, I, I just don't, I want to, maybe that's just me. But like, I would squash that out and say like, go together, split up, go on separate tours, compile notes. When you come back, what did you learn? What did I learn? There's a great way to use multiple perspectives here um, and to connect with a friend as well. So um, I I bet there's a lot of kids out there who are applying to the same kinds of schools as their friends. And you can have different opinions and think about it. Families can approach it differently and, and that's all well and good. It's not the act of making the same decisions and and getting the same outcomes, but just going through the research process together. I like that. Can I also say I like the idea when we go back to assignments of Mm -hmm. thinking about how parents can help most effectively, but without as much time is laying out for your student 
some organization, but leaving them to do the actual work. If there's a yeah. spreadsheet that needs to be created of research or a spreadsheet that needs to be created of deadlines and requirements, you can build that sheet for them and show them what are the headers and how, how do I need to go about researching this information? But then they do the research. They fill that in. You maybe are a little more equipped and capable because of your professional skills for putting these kinds of things together, but let them please let them do the legwork. Not only do you not have the time, they, again, at the end of the day, need to care more than you. That's right. I, and I, I think that there's also some parents out there, I can imagine, who are maybe they're project managers for a living. And so their thought is, it's just easier for me to book this virtual mm. tour for you. Or I'm going to create this spreadsheet because I know what I'm doing and I want to make sure it works. I think when that happens... You got to, you can be helpful, but you also got to check yourself because you might set something up on Trello and your kid's like, what the heck is Trello? I don't know how to use this. So you've got to find something that is going to be useful and usable for your student while also being helpful. And so I love the idea of the student being in the driver's seat and delegating. Mm -hmm. Hey mom, I want to do a virtual tour for Tulane and Minnesota in the same day. I'm working on the essays right now you could really help me out by just booking those for me, right? Sure. If there's that kind of relationship, then maybe mom can go and register for those events and then say, all right, they're on your calendar. Love Make it. sure that you show up. But I think it's, it's very much, it sounds like we're developing a kind of a collaborative yeah. situation. Or to beat the metaphor to death that you just said about being in the driver's seat, then that puts the parent in the navigator seat. They're not driving the car. They might right. help point out directions. They might say, hey, you have a left turn up ahead. Uh, ooh, if we go this route, we might shave off 10 minutes, but ultimately the kid's still the one driving the car. You reminded me of like when I, when I'm driving and my wife is navigating, it's like, I need, um, you need to give me more of a heads up about where this right turn is. Right. So you, as the navigator, you've got to know what the driver's preferences are. Like in two miles, you're going to turn right. It's going to be a a slight right. And it's going to be on, on Murphy street. Right. And so it's like, good. That's, that's what I need. Please warn me again when we get one mile. Etc. So the navigator's got to figure out what the driver needs. Maybe it's just a French fry. Maybe it's directions. Um, anything else that we should say? This has been kind of a fun segment. We, I, yeah. you know, we didn't know what we this was just thrown at us. We're like, well, working parents, yeah. that's tough. Um, anything else that you want to throw out uh, to working parents as they're supporting their kids through this process? Uh, they're not alone. Lots of other people are going through this as well. Uh, I'm sure there uh, is a lot of support in your friend network, but looking for it as support and collaboration, not for necessarily answers. Avoid the whole, I heard, I heard, I heard this, I heard that. I mean, I think we can make an entire podcast series just on episodes of, I heard. And I think that should be a pitch that we should share with Jen as uh, future ideas of I heard segments. But anyway, lean on on friends who are going through this as well, who went through it last year, um, siblings, their nieces and nephews, uh, who, who, what worked for them? Check in with them, check in with their coworkers, Check in with your employee benefits provider. Are there any resources that your employer provides uh, that can help you navigate this process? So many great ones. I can think of about 300 companies out there provide college counseling as part of their employee benefit package. Where, you know, if you sign up for a counseling session, you might get Tova calling you at 10 a.m. Or you might get me calling you at 2 p.m. Who knows? It's true. But yeah, check into it. When the camera's on, I always have to wave, but I always forget. Hopefully and if your employer doesn't have this benefit, maybe that's something that you can uh, mention to your benefits office too. Sure. I mean, you're a working parent. You're there anyway. You might as well Absolutely. see if you can do some college counseling. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, Tova, this is great. Um, For those of you who are working parents, um, we know it's tough. There's a lot of balls you have to keep in the air. It is a thankless role as well. Um, You're doing great work. And uh, good luck to you and to your kids um, as you head into this difficult fall. Uh, Hopefully tomorrow, you get to leave work like an hour early. That would be great. Tova, thanks for coming and discussing this with us. My pleasure, Ian. Take care. All right. We, when we come back, we are answering, answering, answering listener questions. Don't go away. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. We just talked all about Working Parents Day. We've got a couple of working parents here on this final segment, and we've got some questions from probably some working parents as well. We're going to power through as many of these as we can, because as I mentioned at the opening of the show, we got a ton of questions that came in over Labor Day weekend. I think people are starting to say, I need more. So we want to get through a lot of stuff today. We're going to start with a finance question. And joining me as always to represent the financial aid expertise of our team, we've got Shannon Vasconcelos, uh, who will be fielding the finance questions. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Ian. I almost forgot to introduce you. Um, We're just in such a rush here to get through the questions. Okay, finance robot reporting for duty. Let's get to these. (laughs) So we've got Rob, who is from Texas, who asked this question. When when over-awarded outside scholarships, uh, when I would guess it's whenever awarded outside scholarships for a student Mm. with no need-based aid, what are some appeal positions to take to increase our cost of attendance number to avoid displacement or having scholarship checks returned? 
Oh, he does mean over. So he does mean over awarded. But when right. you get too much in outside scholarship money to cover the cost of attendance, how can yes. you raise the cost of attendance? Yes. That is such an interesting question that I never thought I would hear. So what's it your is. answer? Yeah. So this happens. Um, it's not uncommon when we usually talk about it in relation to need-based financial aid, mm-hmm. where it is. Um, a government regulation where that a student cannot be awarded need-based aid in excess of their calculated financial need. Uh, and that is a law. If a college tells you, sorry, we have to reduce some financial aid to make room for this outside scholarship, they have no wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a slightly different situation with Rob where um, he hasn't been awarded any need-based aid. Um, so it, it sounds to me like Rob is in a great situation in that um, he or or his child has been awarded um, probably a full scholarship by the college that covers everything. And then they also got an outside scholarship from an outside organization. And the college is telling them, we're going to have to reduce your giant merit scholarship because you're we're not going to give you more money than what you actually need to attend this university. You know, maybe we, this school costs $50,000. We were going to give you 50, but since you're getting $5,000 from somebody else, we're only going to give you 45. Um, That it's not a law that they have to do that. So you're in a slightly better negotiating position there, Robin, that the school can do whatever they want. They have a policy that they're going to reduce their merit scholarship, um, but they don't have to. Now, what you can do, it sounds like you already know, um, since they're saying we're not going to give you scholarship funding in excess of your cost of attendance, can we convince the school that your actual cost of attendance is larger than what they think it is so you can keep more of your scholarship money? Now, what goes into the cost of attendance, are there's a sort of a few different buckets, tuition and fees. Mm-hmm. Um, usually standardized kind of across the board, every student is charged the same. Um, But if you have any extra costs in there that the average student does not, um, often happens for science majors that might have extra lab fees in there, you can appeal to the school and say, hey, can you add my lab fee on? If that's $300, that's an extra $300 that now you get to keep if they increase your cost of attendance budget. Um, and it's it's not increasing your actual costs at all. It's just the budget that they gotcha. are looking at. Um, room and board is another one. Again, the, the college is going to include it's sort of a standardized cost of attendance budget for everybody or everybody in the same class or everybody in the same living situation. So they're including the cost maybe of the average dorm. Um, are you living um, in a more deluxe dorm or you're a single room instead of a double room, you can increase the cost of attendance budget for that. Do you have a higher meal plan than, than what um, they're, they're charging the typical student? If you're living off campus, or is your off campus rent more expensive than what the average student has? Mm-hmm. So what you're going to want to do is find out what budget they are using. What are the numbers for all these components and see if your numbers, you can justify that your numbers are higher anywhere. Also included mm-hmm. books and supplies. Um, are your books more expensive than typical? Do you need to buy a computer, which they may or may not have um, incorporated into their standard budget? Is your b- computer, because of what your major is, you have to get a fancy your computer, they could increase the budget for that. Transportation, you know, what are you paying for parking or public transportation? Kind of all of that stuff. Find out what numbers they're using. You can ask the financial aid office what your cost of attendance budget 
is the breakdown and find out if you are paying more anywhere. If so, you can ask them to increase your budget and that will allow you to keep more of your scholarship funding. It sounds like me trying to get free shipping on a website. Just add more stuff to the cart. I just, I gotta get, I gotta get over a hundred. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> so in that case, you're actually increasing your cost because you're buying more. If you, Rob, if you have these costs anyway, you're just asking the school to include them. No, Shannon, I'm saving. You're I'm saving, saving right? That's what I tell more. myself Come too. On. Yes. <laughs> All right. You've okay. got questions for me. I some, do. Some the first question comes in from Andrew. My son is really interested in medicine as a career, and he plans to major in biology. Mm. But we heard that it is harder to get in um, to medical school if yeah. you apply to a really popular major. Actually, I'm not sure. You can tell me what you think <laughs> he's asking here. He's interested in a career in medicine, but he plans to major in biology. But we heard that it's harder to get in if you apply to a really popular major. Now he's thinking about doing something more unique like environmental studies. Will that give him an edge? Can he change his major once he gets in? So I'm actually not sure are they asking about it's harder to get into undergrad or harder to get into, into medical school. Yeah, I, I think for medical school, what you major in as an undergrad really doesn't matter. You have to take certain classes in order to be eligible for medical school and they are typically science courses and quantitative skills courses. So those tend to overlap with science majors, which is why students major in the sciences if they're pre-med, but you don't have to be any particular major in order to be pre-med. As far as popularity for majors, I think the way to think about it is that there are some special programs that you can apply to for for particular schools. But usually if you're looking at at, um, majors that are in the same college at a university, there tends to be a lot of fluidity between Mm. moving in those spaces and they actually don't read students by major in those cases. So for example, if you're applying to the college of letters and sciences at a university, that college is going to have biology and environmental sciences and philosophy and humanities and English and all of these different majors that are the more traditional liberal arts and sciences majors. And so if you're admitted to that college, you can take whatever of those majors you'd like once you get there. And I think typically the school's pretty agnostic about what you say you want to major in at the point at which you apply because they know that there's going to be some changing that happens when you get on campus. What you can't count on is an opportunity to transfer between colleges at a university. So if you come in as a biology major and then you decide all of a sudden that you want to do civil engineering, that's really not going to be a channel that's available to you as a student because that engineering college is its own separate college, its own separate bucket of majors. Mm -hmm. And those students have been read and reviewed quite differently. So for this specific instance, where Andrew's asking about biology versus environmental science, it's not really going to make a difference in any way with respect to the application process at the overwhelming majority of schools. But if we are talking about biomedical engineering versus biology, then I would say, yeah, biology, you'll have an easier time getting in. And I don't think that there's a meaningful difference between those two majors if your goal is medicine. Now, if you change your mind and you want to become an engineer, you won't want to have that biology major. And that's some of the difficulty in making this choice. But I think think for Andrew's son, it's really not something that he should spend a lot of time fretting about. Put down whatever you're most interested in now and then see what happens when you get there. Perfect. The next question question comes in from Kristen. um, And she says, I listen to your podcast every Thursday and we love it. My daughter, who is a senior this coming fall, is filling out the comment app. Do you advise to waive the right to review recommendation letters? Yes. Waive your right to review your recommendation letters. This is really important. I almost wish that this was airing early. 
because once you select what you have chosen, you actually can't change it in the Common App. It's the one thing that once you click it and then you sign it uh, electronically, you can't go back and update it. The reason this matters so much is because when you waive your right to view a letter of recommendation, essentially what you're saying is, I trust whatever my teachers and counselor are going to say about me. So I'm going to ask them to write letters of recommendation, and then it's in their hands, and I approve their testimonial. If you do not waive your right, you're saying, I might want to review those things. And what that means is that implicitly, potentially those teachers or counselors are holding back to some extent because they don't want to put something on paper that the student can then ask to see through the FERPA Act, the Federal, Federal Educational Rights Privacies Act. So I always tell students, waive your right. If you're not comfortable waiving your right, you might want to choose different teachers to write your letters of recommendation. Right. <laughs> um, it, you, know, you probably shouldn't be concerned about what that content is going to share. Um, this is a legal button that needs to be clicked on the application. And I think if you screwed up and you did not waive your right, I don't think it's going to be a big issue in the process. But if you have not yet clicked that button, please waive your rights. And that will allow your letters of rec to be much more transparent. Perfect. And Kristen actually had a follow-up question about a different letter of recommendation or one of the letters of recommendation. This one from her daughter's guidance counselor who happened to have left her position over the summer. And now a different guidance counselor is going to be writing her daughter's guidance counselor letter of recommendation. Um, And this is a a bit concerning to Kristen. This other guidance counselor doesn't know her and shouldn't the old one have written the letter before she left? Um, What insight do you have on this? This happens all the time. So I get this question a lot. Um, I, I, first of all, I just want to say, if you have a teacher in 11th grade who leaves your school, who retires or goes to another school and you wanted that teacher to write your letter of recommendation, you can still follow up with that teacher separately. You can go and ask them to write the letter. They were your teacher for a full year in that capacity. They can give that testimonial for your college application. With guidance counselors, it's a little different because they have to be in that role currently because their responsibility is to put together your transcript, to fill out the secondary school report, et cetera. Many guidance counselors, especially ones that are new, are going to take some time to get to know the student either in a meeting or even in having conversations with teachers. That said, if you know your counselor really well for a couple of years and then they leave, there's no way that your new counselor is going to know you as well as that departing counselor will. What you have to do as the applicant is really trust the process, right? So you trust that the new counselor will probably say, I'm new at this school, and so I'm still learning this class. This is what I know about this student. And the admission officer who receives it uh, officer who receives it will not have outsized expectations for the content of that letter. They're not going yeah. to expect it to be, I've known this student forever and they're so wonderful. It's probably going to be a paragraph. It'll be fairly short. What that means is that your teacher letters of recommendation become more important as a share of your recommendations because those people do know you for that full year. So, Shannon, it was really remarkable reading applications, the massive, massive difference between counselor letters from students at really big public high schools and counselor letters at small, independent, private high schools. Yeah. The the small school letters were, you know, 10 point font, full page, single space (laughs) with quotes from teachers. They're written by committee. They're these beautiful, eloquent, you get to learn the students (laughs) super well. And the... You know, the, the public school is 
this kid has got all A's and is really involved in stuff, and we're excited to endorse their candidacy. As an admission officer, I did not hold that against the student because it's a structural difference about where they go to school. It has nothing to do with them as a student. So context, context, context. This is another instance. If you lose that counselor and a new one comes in, it's just another contextual difference in the situation. Yeah. I think the average school student to school counselor ratio in the U.S. is like one to 400 some. So, you know, your daughter will not be alone in having a counselor, a letter come from a counselor who does not know her particularly well. That's right. It it would be the case probably with most students. Um, Next question comes in from Christine. What changes or accommodations will be made in the 2024 cycle by selective, but not super selective private and public colleges due to the pandemic years? Wow. I feel like we could do a whole show on this, Ian. What do you got in uh, two minutes? (laughs) I was trying to count on my hand because it's the 2024 cycle means that those are seniors who are graduating in 2024. So we got 2024, 23 is their senior year, 22, 23, junior, 21, 22, and then 2021 is their freshman year. So those students, when they started high school, were probably in a situation where they were remote learning. But by sophomore year, Mm -hmm. most schools are back to that normal kind of um, in-person counseling or uh, teaching situation. And so I actually perceive things to get almost back to normal in terms of the review process by 2024. There are very few students that are doing things outside of the classroom in ninth grade that are making a meaningful impact on their application. And I think colleges tend not to look super carefully at ninth grade grades anyway. Um, So this is a situation where next year, 10th grade will be back in person. That's really where a lot of schools will start their assessments and will be closer to the traditional application process than I think we have been since the pandemic started. Awesome. Do we have have time time for for one one more? more? How about Mike's one? Yeah. Yeah. How much of an advantage is early decision one versus early decision two for uh, a competitive school in terms of admissions? There, there really isn't on paper a difference in those advantages, but I think if you are planning to apply ED to a, to that particular school, go for ED one because they have all of the space available at that point. For ED2, some subset of that space has been taken up by their ED1 admits. So if their ED1 pool is really strong, they're not going to need as much from ED2. If their ED1 pool Mm -hmm. is really weak, they might need more from ED2. But you don't know exactly how that's going to shake out. So you always want to apply earlier if possible. If you're planning to apply to one school ED1 and the second school ED2, you're kind of forced into that situation regardless. You don't need to worry about it Um, You know, if you don't get into your ED1 choice. You still do have ED2 on the table. Um, In my experience, I perceived the ED2 pool at Reed where we had ED2 to be weaker. And so it was actually a little bit easier to get in ED2. Mm. But I think we were also kind of wary of scraping the barrel. So we had had to be cautious of how we were looking at those students. The ED1 kids were the ones that we were really, really excited about for the ED2 kids you know, they waited a little bit. And so it kind of showed in some of their materials and we'd say, <laughs> yeah, there's some typos here and it just feels like the effort's not quite there. Let's defer yeah. them and we'll look at them in the regular round and see how it shakes out. So, right, but that was the quality of their application, not the fact that they applied ED2. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think for a student who is similarly um, competitive in ED2 would have had 
the same advantage as a student applying yeah. in ED1. Um, and maybe you look even stronger in the ED2 pool, but that's not a risk that I would take given right. what I said about how that pool fills in ED1. Shannon, I think that's the most questions we have ever we answered. We did good. In one segment. <laughs> just, like, just knock them down, man. Um, <laughs> thanks for uh, helping to drive such wonderful efficiency on the show as always and for your expertise. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, folks, we are coming back next week with another really wonderful episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I believe that Beth Heaton will be back hosting the show. So if you are missing her for whatever reason, I can understand. You'll be very glad to have her back. The show is going to cover Naviance and using it to its full potential. Um, why colleges even have supplements what that's for. And then we'll talk about the federal student loan program updates, including loan forgiveness. So a timely segment in that regard. Uh, meanwhile, have a wonderful week and we will see you back here next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.